take our text tonight from the book of Romans, looking at chapter 13, uh, verses 11 through 14. That's Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In a very broad sense, the book of Romans can be divided into three uh, sections or parts. Verse chapters 1 through 9 are doctrinal. They focus on salvation. They focus on sanctification, or we could say the atonement. Chapters 10 and 11 focus on Israel. It's a focus that God has not yet done with the nation of Israel and a covenant with the Jewish people. And then here in this section where our text is, chapters 12 through 16, it focuses on how we might apply God's word, how we might apply our walk with the Lord. We could say Christian living, practical ways in which we can live for the Lord. Now, unlike many of Paul's church letter, letters, the Bible does not specifically tell us when the church or the churches at Rome began. We do know that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that there were strangers of Rome in attendance when the 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were no doubt there for the Feast of Pentecost. It was an exciting time. It was a festival. But that phrase strangers means simply they were Romans dwelling or tearing at Jerusalem. And they're listed in that group of many peoples and nations that heard them speaking in, an un, in unknown languages. And they were in awe, we don't doubt, because of this miracle. And they were then probably there when Peter preached and 3,000 were saved. So it may be that they went back to Rome and began to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we do get a clear sense in Paul's writings, throughout his writings, that he had this strong desire to go to Rome. He wanted to preach there. He wanted to teach there. Uh, he hadn't been there to start the church in or churches. Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 13 says, Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hither too. He wanted to go. He longed to go. He desired to go, but it wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's place for him at that time. In chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. And so it was on his heart, it was on his mind to come there, but he wanted God's will. But we do find it finally as a prisoner on his fourth missionary journey. And sometimes it's just simply referred to as his fourth journey, but he was always a missionary in his work for the Lord. It records in Acts chapters 27 and 28, he arrives at this place called Rome. Tradition says that Paul was likely beheaded here for his faith.
See, there was a, a great fire in Rome and the Roman Empire. He blamed the Christians for the fire. And, and Paul was probably beheaded. Many Christians were likely crucified, but Paul, being a, a Roman citizen, was likely beheaded for his faith, is what tradition tells us. The blame game is nothing new. Eve blamed the serpent. We know that Adam blamed Eve. Remember how the children of Israel blamed Moses. Once they were out of slavery, out of bondage, and they were in the wilderness, they began to blame Moses. Saul blamed David and Ahimelech, excuse me, the high priest. But even here in Romans, Paul reminds us that we are duly responsible for our own actions. In Romans 14, 12, it says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We will not give an account for our friends, for our spouse, for our children, for our co-workers. We will give an account for ourselves. He speaks to those at Rome. But actually, because we're going to give an account for ourselves, it doesn't matter how we treat our children, our spouse, our co-workers, those at school, those we interact with. That is why Paul writes in the verse prior to our text in Romans 13, verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. No ill means nothing harmful, no malice, nothing hurtful or evil, nothing mischievous or vicious. Remember, we're in the Christian living portion of Romans. This is how Paul is saying that we should treat everyone and that in so doing, it fulfills the law, the law of love, which Christ brought to us by way of the cross. Looking at our uh, text, verse 11 of chapter 13, and that knowing the time. Speaking of that, that time then, but so relevant to you and me now, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. And as he goes on here, he begins to make this distinction between light and darkness, between the night and the day. In verse 12, he says, the night is far spent, which means that the night is being cut off. It is being shortened or it is soon coming to an end. That's the darkness of this world. It's not going to last forever. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now, it sounds like a type of armor that you and me want to put on. I've wondered about this, the armor of light. We know that light was the very first act of creation by God. In fact, he made light in order for life to be sustained. Life cannot exist without light. And, and we know there are many physical attributes of light that give insight, I believe, spiritually into the armor that Paul is writing about here. I like how the Lundberg Foundation explains that uh, light from a biblical uh, perspective that I think can help give us insight to this armor. There are actually no words that completely, adequately, or entirely describe light itself. Only descriptions of what, what light does helps us to understand. Light dispels or makes darkness disappear. Light itself cannot be seen, but reveals everything in its presence. Light cannot be grasped or held. Spiritually, we know it's supernatural. Light is illuminating, enabling us to find our way. Our way. Light is color. 
revealing incredible beauty around us. And we know that there are seven basic colors in the spectrum of a rainbow come when light is dispelled. Light is warmth that gives comfort. Light is energy producing power. Light is essential for growth and healing. Light fades the further we move from its source. So Paul is speaking to us spiritually, asking us, encouraging us, or even we could say he's commanding us, put on this armor of light. Put it on. That we might be nourished or that we might be protected. That we might have power. That we might be illuminated. That we might cast out the darkness of the world in a sense. That's why it says in John 8, 12, Jesus, his words here, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life is in Jesus. He also writes, John, that in him, that is Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. He goes on to say in John 1, 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness could not understand it. You see, light and darkness, they're polar opposites. Life in Christ and life in the world, they can't coexist. They're complete opposites to one another. The psalmist David wrote in the 27th Psalm, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When we put this armor on, this armor of light, who shall we be afraid of, he says? What shall we be afraid of? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He asked the question. This is the kind of armor we want to put on, spiritually speaking, because we find protection in the armor of life. We find safety in this armor of light. We find a refuge in this armor. We find healing that we heard testified about tonight in the armor of light. We find strength. These are all attributes of light physically. We find power. We find shelter in the armor of light. And when we put on this armor, we illuminate to a lost and to a dying world that's in darkness. We find hope in the armor of light. On August 7th, 1989, Congress passed a resolution that designated the 7th of August as National Lighthouse Day. And I, I read that it was exactly 108 years later that on the 7th of August in 1881, there was a, a famous rescue that took place at a lighthouse. It was Whitehead Lighthouse off the coast of Maine. The, the lighthouse keeper, his name was Isaac Grant. And it was about 8 o'clock in the morning that two men were out to sea and, and they got lost because of the fog and, and they couldn't see and pretty soon they were in tremendous trouble. There was an annual report of the operations of the United States Life Saving Service. It says there was dense fog, a strong beat breeze with uh, frequent squalls and a heavy sea at about 9 o'clock when the boat had been absent from the vessel an hour, about an hour, um, the boat suddenly capsized. 
And as they were in trouble out there, they yelled for help, but the, the roaring of the waves, nobody could hear them. And the lighthouse shone a light out there, but the fog was in the way. And after some time, the, the winds changed and pretty soon there was a glim of, a glimmer of light that shined through on those that were in trouble. And so this man from the lighthouse, his name, which escapes me right now, Isaac Grant, he took into action. I guess there's a some a sound that can be uh, shown from the lighthouse that there's an emergency, and he got in his own boat and and he made his way out there, and it was a very unsafe passage. And he's way he made his way out there, and after some time, he pulled them out of the water, and and they were bruised, and they were bleeding, and they were battered. And as the story goes, the account goes, he took them back to the lighthouse, and at the lighthouse, he bandaged them up. He helped nurse them back to health, from what I understand. And that's one of the main events that happened on the anniversary of what is the National Lighthouse Day. But what, what stuck out to me was that it was the lighthouse that showed or illuminated that there was a problem. The lighthouse, uh, the gentleman at the lighthouse didn't know there was a problem until the light shone that somebody was in danger. And then it was the lighthouse that enabled a rescue to happen. And it was the lighthouse that showed the way for them to be saved. It was the lighthouse that after they rescued, they went back and they sought refuge at the lighthouse. It was at the lighthouse where they were bandaged and cared for. And we as Christians are called and commissioned to be clothed with this armor that we would illuminate a lost and dying world. That they would see that there's a problem. And there is a problem. A lost and dying world that needs to be saved. Daniel the prophet wrote, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever." And ever, the world is crying out for you and me to be a light to them. The world is looking for something and someone that would illuminate the way to Jesus Christ. We don't want to be afraid to stand out for Jesus. We don't want to be afraid to stand up for Jesus. We don't want to put a word, be afraid to put a word in for the Lord. I heard a testimony of a successful businessman who gave an example of how he shines his light. I, I've never met this man. I don't remember his name, but what he said stuck with me when he and his wife go to a restaurant. No matter what, when the food comes, they tell their waiter or their waitress, we're going to pray over our food. Is there anything that you would like prayer for? You see, I think sometimes we think that the example we're going to have is all of a sudden we're going to give our testimony. They're going to turn their heart over to the Lord, but he's just looking for an opening. And they are amazed at the responses. No doubt, often the, the waiter or the waitress, they're taken off guard, but maybe more often than not, people, they have something that they're willing to say, yes, pray for me. Pray for my my somebody that, that I know that has cancer or, or pray for something that I'm dealing with, a broken relationship or, or pray for a financial need and the door is opened because they want to shine their light for Jesus and God gives them an opportunity to say a word for Christ. The world needs deliverance. The world might not even know they need to see this light, but they're crying out to see that light. 
Paul goes on in our text just describing darkness and the world or that which opposes a life clothed with this armor in, in verse 13. He says, and let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, which would be a reveling and drunkenness or intoxication, not in chambering sexual impurity and wantonness or lascivious, lasciviousness, not in strife, which would be wrangling, contention or debate and envying, which is jealousy. You see, we live in an upside down world. Darkness is called light and light is called darkness. I read a prayer here recently. You may have heard it before from Pastor Joe Wright. He was invited to give an invocation at the Kansas State Legislature in January 23rd, 1996. And this is what he prayed before their House of Congress. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, and that's exactly what we've done. We've lost our spiritual equilibrium. We've inverted our values. We confess that we've ridiculed the absolute truth of your word in the name of moral pluralism. We've worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyle. We exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We've neglected the needy and called it self-perseverance. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. Father, in the name of choice, we've killed our unborn, and then in the name of right to life, we've killed abortionists. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it taxes. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, know our hearts today. Try us and show us any wickedness in us and then cleanse us from every sin and set us free. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. It didn't go over real well with some there. But as I read that, it rings even more true today. This was the late 90s. I believe we should be shining our light more today than ever. And really, Paul gets to the heart of the matter in verse 14. So after he talks about this armor of light that we wants to put on, that we, that we would put on, because the day is short in terms of darkness. The day is at hand when we could see here he's referring to the soon coming of the Lord. He goes on to say, after listing off what not to be in verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision or give any place for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. That's what we want to do. We want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In different places in the scripture, there's other descriptive words. It talks about having on the wedding garment or robes of righteousness. I like here how it refers to as the armor of light. But I want to ask you tonight, how is your armor? How bright is your armor? Are there any Cracks or points of weakness in your armor and in my armor. 
We know that Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, put on the whole armor of God. Put it all on. And we won't go into all that entails, but we know that we want to receive all that God has for us. We want to receive all that God has promised for us. And, and we need not be shy to ask that which God has promised. That was brought up in Sunday school this morning. We know that we come with praise and thanksgiving. What should we ask for? Well, we are, we know what God has promised. We can ask. He wants us to ask. And so he says, put on the armor of life, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the, for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I think we would be good to check our armor to make sure that it's complete, to make sure that it's all there, to, to search our hearts. Is there anything that's gotten in our hearts between a brother or a sister or, or most importantly, between us and the Lord? The Lord would clear that up. The Lord would make sure that our, our robes are pure and white. We know that it's going to be a glorious church without spot or recall or any such thing, it says, because of the blood of Jesus. We're going to have an opportunity tonight to f drop to our knees, to ask the Lord to search us, to uh, search out our hearts, to uh, look into the very depths of our soul, to make sure that we are right with him. And we know God is faithful. God is merciful. God is gracious because of the blood of Jesus. Let's make sure that we have the full armor of God on tonight. The song is 488. Let's come forward and pray.